This is my war boss. It's his first game. He has uh, 30 XP. To episode 33 of the Narrative Wargamer podcast, a non-competitive 40k podcast with a focus on fun and narrative gameplay, as well as hobby news and our latest hobby projects. I am Tony Rhodes, and tonight I am joined by Dan Willington. Hello! As always, before we get started, you can find us at Narrative Wargamer on Facebook, or you can follow us on Twitter at Narrative40k and on Instagram at Narrative Wargamer. You can also contact us via email at narrativewargamer at gmail.com if you have any questions or if you would like to join us on a future episode. If you want to support the show and help us grow, you can do so by joining our Patreon from only $2 a month. As a supporter, you can listen to our bonus episodes on Patreon and gain access to our patrons-only group chat. The support from our patrons helps us produce the show and goes towards awesome new content for you guys in the future. Finally, if you want to support the show for free, you can do by visiting the awesome folks over at Element Games for all your hobby supplies and gaming miniatures. Just use our affiliate link below to visit their web store, and that way any purchases you make will directly help support the podcast. Links for everything are in the description below, so please check them out and get involved with the growing community. So Dan, what are we going to be talking about tonight? Is it going to be one of our most anticipated things so far in 9th edition? It might just be. (laughs) <laughs> yes, so we are going to be having um, one of our On Crusade episodes tonight, so it's been a little while since we've managed to do one of these, due to the extensive content from Warzone Charidon, but now that that is behind us, we can squeeze in an On Crusade, and... Yep. What a crusade it is. Yeah. <laughs> As the resident Orc players, me and Dan, have been very excited to go over this one, so... Uh... Yes, we've got that to look forward to later tonight. Yep. Um, we'll talk, 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 talk. But in addition um, to that, we've got a couple of announcements. So, first of all, uh, since we last recorded, we've got two brand new patrons to shout out. So, uh, thank you very much to Mr. Peter Novarini and Casey Donahue. So, thank you for helping support the show yeah yeah it's a big help um we're glad that you're enjoying the show and it's great to hear that there are people that are enjoying it i mean i've spoken to um i think casey it was um since he he signed up and uh, he's given me some very positive feedback so thank you for that excellent great to hear um and as patreon members they can both now listen to our latest bonus episode. So we do now have live casual conversations, episode four, with who was it, Dan? That's right, uh, it wasn't you for once. Not me. <laughs> yeah. It was actually with uh, Mr. Chris Wildman and Dave Parker. So uh, you missed one, Dan. I, I was going to say I don't remember doing that. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Funnily enough, um, I might, did manage to get together with Chris and Dave to uh, record our latest casual conversations. Um, it was a fun one. We talked about Necromunda, painting tips, and Warhammer Plus. 
Nice. So it was a good conversation. And uh, if you want to listen to that, then just go. You can go check it out on our Patreon. Um, so like I say, amongst the other rewards that you'll get, you do get access to our bonus episodes. So Peter and Casey, please enjoy, um, as do the rest of our patrons. So thank you very much. And uh, yeah, I hope you'll have future patron pals as well. <laughs> patron pals. I like it. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, tonight our spotlight topic is going to be Orcs on Crusade. And we're also going to have a games played section. But since me and Dan have both been playing some games with Orcs, and in particular in Dan's case, on Crusade, um, we're going to actually cover that after we look at the Crusade rules for Orcs. Because it'll just it'll make more sense. Yep. We can do that, mix it around, why not? Yeah. Uh, so, I think that's basically about everything, really, before we dive into it, because um, I think it could be a decent-sized conversation with everything that's going on with these orcs. And, uh, yes, something tells me we might talk quite a lot about it. <laughs> and I think we just want to get into it, because I don't think we, uh, yeah. we've got anything else on our mind right now, so... Um, Let's get it on. We'll be back in a second, guys. The Orcs on Crusade! Welcome back, guys. And now we are on to our main topic for tonight. So it's been a little while since we've managed to get around to doing one of our On Crusade segments. But I think it's fair to say that this particular one has been uh, somewhat anticipated by myself and Dan as we've been looking forward to covering it. (laughs) Yep. I mean, obviously, as I'm sure people probably gathered by this point, for my entire sort of playtime in 9th edition I've only played with orcs <laughs> so far <laughs> so in order to actually now get some crusade rules and uh, have something to play around with in the new edition is just great fun and now funnily enough I've not actually had a chance to give these an outing yet and play a game with the orcs and crusade but Dan you have haven't you? I have yes uh, I have played one solitary game with uh, the on the orc crusade rules so far, but uh, hey, it's something. Yeah, and I'm planning to hopefully pick up some crusade games in the near future with it because right now <laughs> I've basically I'm just waiting on getting together a mega round war boss to represent Zagdreg <laughs> um, because I've refactored my crusade force a little bit with the release of the ninth edition orc nice. codex. To sort of you know account for this new system, well, I mean, first of all, the codex in itself, you know, it changes yeah. the units and the war gear and relics and so on. Um, but also being able to now take out these brand new crusade rules. So, so what are they, Dan? Tell me, should we should we break it down into basically two main components of the orcs on crusade? Um, sure. The first 
being might makes right, and then the second being the scrap system, which we'll get to yes. shortly. Yes, I think that's fair. So, I mean, I think we we all are aware that the majority of the Crusade uh, systems uh, in the various codexes, they, they all have their own specialist resource, their own sort of like mini game sub mechanic thing that it makes them unique. Uh, and orcs are kind of a little bit different in that they have two sort of unique mechanic things, one of which is a, a fairly basic resource management system, and the other is might makes right, which is your war boss or your war boss is going to be really beefy and he might have to fight some of your other characters. <laughs> I mean, you say it might, but uh, I, I think depending on how you play into it, you will be doing it a lot or very rarely. But in either case, it's something that's interesting that it's there and you have to play around it. So, yes. as we all know, Orcs are obviously led by the biggest and the best of yes. their clan. It's know. only natural. It's only natural. Might makes right. Yep. <laughs> um, so, while a, like, a typical crusade force doesn't technically have like a designated overall leader on your order of battle, because you assign no. who the warlord is on a game-by-game basis based on what units you're taking. Yeah. I mean... Not that typically you'll be taking characters like Gulliman or you know, Morgan Val or whatever, but in theory, if you had them on your Crusade Order of Battle, then you know they're kind of like the head honcho, aren't they? Yeah. In theory. Well, in the case of Orcs, you actually do have to designate who is in charge. Yep. <laughs> so this is almost... This is beyond Warlord. This is above that. This is not the Warlord. This is the War Boss. Yeah. Which I think is probably my favourite keyword I've so far found on a ninth edition date sheet. It's quite amusing. I do especially like the fact that there is an exclamation mark in the middle of the word. Well, that is in fact the official spelling yes. of war. Like Games Workshop always use the same spelling and it is yep. it is a triple A <laughs> and it has the exclamation mark. It is actually yep. part yep. of the spelling of the word. <laughs> Which is always funny because grammatically, when they reference war in mid-sentence, the following word does always have a lowercase letter because obviously the, the exclamation mark is not the end of the sentence in question. Yes. <laughs> it's very strange, but, you know, it's orcs, so who cares about grammar? Well, certainly not the war boss. <laughs> no. So basically, this is a mechanic where... Um, you have to pick one of your orc characters on your order of battle when you first create your order of battle. And yep. they gain the war boss keyword. Yes. Then from that point onwards, it's going to potentially move around between your characters. Not necessarily <laughs> at your will. Like, it's going <laughs> to be contested as the various underbosses um, might end up challenging the war boss for leadership of the war. <laughs> Yeah, um, so I think maybe let's shall we quickly talk about what the war boss gets you if you aren't challenged. Um, yeah, so obviously being the war boss that inherently means that at that moment in time at least you are the biggest and the best. Yep. <laughs> and basically having the war boss keyword doesn't, as such, do anything for you initially. 
but whenever a wire boss um, gains a battle honor, so whenever they like, gain a rank, yeah. um, in addition to whatever they gain, be it a battle um, honor or a crusade relic or whatever they get, they also basically get a stat increase yes. <laughs> because they're getting bigger and meaner and stronger. So when they gain a rank, they can choose to increase either their strength or their wounds characteristic by one. Yes. Um, up uh, to a maximum of plus two per stat. Yeah. So if you go all the way up to legendary, you'd have plus two strength and plus two wounds. Yes. Which means you're going to be a big orc, especially when... Yes. In the majority There's... of cases, that means you're going to be either strength seven or eight, and <laughs> have somewhere between like seven to potentially for uh, eleven wounds. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a number of different ways to get extra wounds as well. Um, yes, there are. <laughs> it, it is worth noting though that you cannot have that if you're a vehicle. Um. Oh, that's true, isn't it? Each time you get to rank, if they are not a vehicle, in addition to gaining a battle on it. So technically, you, so can you can't be the war boss if you are a vehicle character. Yes, you just don't you get the benefit. Stat increases, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and okay. it's entirely possible that a vehicle character might become the war boss without you wanting them to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's funny, because... Yeah, so I think I do remember reading that originally, but I had since been thinking, I was like... Well, I don't want my Death Killer War Trike to go to 11 wounds. Because then... <laughs> no. Because I, I think... I think in that case then, because I missed that, because... Um, well, I suppose... That could go on the Beast Boss on Squiggasaw then, couldn't it? Yes. Because he is not a vehicle. Yes. Yep. There's also... I mean, uh, at, at least a couple of relics that you could stack that give you extra wounds. So, like, yeah, so be aware that you might actually end up reaching sort of Gazgol esque <laughs> proportions where you're going to go above 10 wounds and therefore be targetable as a character. It's probably not ideal, hence why it's optional. Um, is it? Uh, I believe so. Oh, you can increase that model strength for yep. characters. Yep. Okay, that's you not don't so have to. Then. So you can try and push yourself up to nine wounds, yeah. basically. Yes. It, it also does increase your power rating by one every time you do that. True, so and if, technically... If you, were, if you were being incredibly, like, optimal, you probably wouldn't take that, because it's not really worth an extra power level to go plus one strength on a war boss. But it's the equivalent of half a command point, potentially, to your opponent. Yeah. Yeah. So... Uh, well, no, it's power level, not crusade level. So it just it means you can take less stuff in your army. No, you're right, power rating, yeah. yeah. So I mean, it, it's weird, but it yeah, is. It, I mean, it does state, obviously, you can't take the upgrade if it would take you above your supply limit. Exactly. But I know, for example, right now, I think my crusade force is at 63 power level. Um, Fair. Because of how the units balance out yep. so i could take that upgrade and remain under my 65 because technically that's my supply limit yeah so it's it's a bit of a strange mechanic off right off the bat it but it's really cool 
Yeah, so, I mean, what we're talking about there is the edge cases where, you know, it's like, it's a yeah. Beast Boss or Squiggasaur, it's a Death Killer Wartrike. But technically, it can be any um, orc character. So, say you've started Crusade, where in your starting force, you've got just, like, a big mech and a weird boy. You could yep. have the weird boy be the Warboss. That would be interesting. Um, now, obviously... When you maybe add a war boss to your roster later on, he might start to contend it. Um, and obviously, if you were doing a crusade force that didn't feature a war boss, then you're also losing access to the war in one shape or another. Yeah. So I can't imagine most crusade forces would begin without a war boss. But technically, there's a there's a way here of trying to rank up a weird boy to gain some extra wounds and strength yeah. before allowing another orc to take over yeah that would be very interesting to have a <laughs> a big beefy weird boy running around or indeed you could make uh, effectively a big mech boss couldn't you uh you could make a runt herd oh yeah um, what's his name Wartsnagger. snagger <laughs> uh, zogrod Wartsnagger. well i mean he's already a, a character in the book now so but you could make his mate uh, uh, yes, yes, there's category to exclude named characters. Duh. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, um, so, talking about actually challenging for it then. So, ultimately, the only real gain that you get out of the war boss is the upgrades to your strength and wounds as your war, as your war boss levels up. But I do think that is going to be damn good. I mean, like, I'm planning to take a mega armed war boss who as he gets those stat increases, will end up being a base strength 8 with 9 wounds. And he <laughs> uses a weapon that gives him plus 3 strength. Oh no, no sorry, plus 4 strength. So he is, um, he's going to be striking at strength 12. Yeah. Um, and, you know, 9, nine wounds, 1-up save, 4-up in bun. <laughs> he's not yeah. exactly going to be easy to shift. He's going to be a bit of a bruiser. One thing I am vaguely interested in, um, mechanically speaking, is adding one to your strength uh, and the interaction with the power claw, which or other double strength weapons. So obviously in in ninth edition, you double first, then add uh, modifiers. But it's a a change to your your profile strength rather than a plus one strength. I think. Yeah, this is a baseline characteristic increase, not a yeah. modifier like to it. So I would assume that a strength eight war boss with a claw would be striking. It's strength 16. sixteen. Yes. <laughs> so he's gonna be Wouldn't really that be nice? Yeah, right. <laughs> but that that's before you cast uh, fists of gork on him on Oof. eleven plus the plus three strength. <laughs> Um, well, I think getting uh, getting a character up to a ridiculously high strength is something we'll revisit later. Yeah. <laughs> so. The um, challenge. Yeah, so the other side of this then, of the war boss mechanic, is that other orcs and other characters are going to feel that sometimes they can challenge the war boss for leadership of the war. And basically, this is determined by experience. So, if any, at the end of a uh, 
crusade game after you've basically tallied and upgraded all your experience on your force you then need to compare um, the total experience of all your orc characters and if any of them have a higher experience than the war boss has they'll issue they'll challenge the war boss for leadership so if you you know if your war boss has 10 xp and then your death killer war trike is, is on 12 at the end of the game the speed boss is going to attempt to challenge the current war boss and uh, claim leadership in his stead yep um, and this is not optional. <laughs> this is just nope. a thing that happens. These are these are the orcs infighting amongst themselves uh, to determine who's in charge. And basically, what happens is in the time-honored tradition of theory hammering combat between two characters <laughs> that yeah. I'm sure many war gamers have done in, in years past. Like, well, who gets to charge? Who gets to go first? What distance apart are we from each other? <laughs> Stuff yep. like that. It's all here in the challenge. Yes, there and, is a very detailed description of how you fight your two characters against each other. Yeah, and basically the summary of it all is that it moves through three phases and then repeats the final phase until there's a winner. Yep. Um, both, uh, both characters are considered to be six inches apart and in the first round of combat they're both considered to have charged and plus gain any particular charge bonuses. However... The war boss always performs his actions first. Um, the first step is, or the first phase, is that if one, if either character is a psyker, they can attempt to manifest one psychic power. So again, if this weird boy, in my theory, was yep. actually starting out as an early crusade war boss, um, then after both <laughs> both contenders have had an opportunity to uh, manifest at least one psychic power. They both then get a shooting phase, effectively, so they can attempt to shoot each other once. So again, um, in the case of like a big mech, that might be a custom mega blaster that he's got. You know, it could be something significant, or a shock uh, attack gun, <laughs> or a shock attack gun. Yes, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hadn't thought about that. I mean, yeah, he's either going to pull it off in that phase or not. Basically, yeah. Yeah. I would assume. But could you imagine? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then after you both had an opportunity to shoot at each other once, they then move to basically <laughs> rolling fight phases where they both count as charging for the first instance. So if you get things like a warlord trait or other special rule that triggers when you charge. Um, like technically, I suppose things like impact hits would apply in the case of like a war boss with the yes. crushing armor. Yeah, exactly. Because you do get to use all your weapons and relics and warlord yep. traits and anything else that you would normally get to use. Um, and then you basically just well, keep... With exception. Well, yeah, so so with some exceptions, based on the fighting fair rule, yeah. which basically means any mounted characters have to dismount. <laughs> yeah. So your death killer war trike does not get to actually use his, you know, uh, burner His cutter. war trike. Yeah, his war trike. The... Um, the beast boss and squiggasaur does not get to just attempt to eat the rival with the squiggasaur. And importantly, a kill rig does not get to just bring the kill rig. <laughs> yeah, that would be somewhat unfair. Um, it, it does. So it lists here basically the substitute equivalents. 
So, like, the Death Killer War Trike would use the profile of a war boss armed with a snag claw and a slugger. The Kill Rig would use the profile of a Warboy armed with his eyes of Mork. And the Beast Boss on Squiggasaw uses the profile of a Beast Boss with a Beast Chopper and Slugger. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And then, basically, they just <laughs> have at each other until yep. one of them is killed or incapacitated. Yes. Um, and... Um, to the winner, if the existing war boss is the winner, then he gains an amount of experience points required to make, take him to being one point more than the challenger was, because obviously at this point in time, the challenger must have had more XP than it's yes. been a challenge. So he goes back to having the most XP in the Crusade by one. <laughs> yeah. Um, if the challenger is the winner, they gain an additional D3 uh, experience points um, and that can't give them their battle honor if they rank up as a result of that as normal. And then they gain the title of War Boss, and yes. the old War Boss loses that keyword. Yes. And then I think the funniest part is that in the case of the loser, yes, um, if the War Boss is the loser, that model gains one battle scar. Yep. Determine it immediately and record it on their Crusade profile, and they lose the War Boss key. Um, Keyword, as described above. And if the challenger is the loser, that model gains one battle scar. <laughs> so you you could have come out with it in a bad way. I mean, it is just the epitome of all key, really. That there's going to be this yep. fight, and the winner's going to come out on top with more XP, and the loser is going to come out with a battle scar. <laughs> yep. It's very Gorkamorka, isn't it? It is, and it's just funny how... I, I do think it's a shame that there are no unique battle scars in here. Yeah. Because I think given the fact that there's a mechanic in here for inflicting battle scars on your own models, it would have <laughs> been cool to actually have a series of orc battle scars. Um, yes. But it's not the biggest issue in the world. Like the various yeah. character debuffs and things um, that exist. I mean, technically... You could take like the vehicle debuffs if it's like the war trike, yeah, or the kill rig. Yeah, so there's a which, variety out there, which I think is particularly funny because I imagine the idea that the say the the regular war boss beats down the speed boss, and then like as he's on the floor, half conscious, not able to do anything about it, he just goes over and smashes up his bike <laughs> to, to prove a yeah. point. Sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. um, Amazing, but yeah, so it's funny how. As intended, I think the main point is that you would have like a war boss leading your war, and more often than not, he'll probably have the most XP. He's going to gain his extra stat increases as he gets bigger, um, and the majority of the time, you probably won't get that many challenges because, as we'll get to in things like the agendas shortly, the war boss is probably going to be regularly racking up a bunch of XP, yeah, keeping himself like ahead of his peers. But I think if you're playing sort of like a bit of a savvy game with these orcs, I think there's some opportunity here to basically try and get bigger through fighting, yeah. <laughs> as is the case, where you attempt to deliberately pass the title around. Because if you lose the war boss keyword, yep. you don't lose the strength and wound bonuses no. that you gained from leveling up. 
you just lose the ability to level up to to get them by leveling up. Yeah, the game further increases. Yeah. So, like I say, if you start out with a you know twenty five power level crusade, and your only HQ is like a weird boy, or maybe like I say a weird boy and a big mech with a custom force field, <laughs> mm. then the weird boy probably going to be getting more XP. And if he doesn't, if somehow the big mech decides to um, go for a challenge, well, the big mech's got a spanner, and that's it. The weird boy's probably going to clobber him over the head. <laughs> yeah. Um. And after you know a couple of level ups, you've suddenly got yourself a a, a strength seven seven wound <laughs> weird boy. <laughs> Until the actual war boss shows up and then clocks him over the head with a power core and takes the title off him. Quite. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So you can do that to spread the the stats around rather than taking them all on one character, um, or you could you could do that to to make advantage of the extra D three or the the plus whatever experience points you get for winning the fight. Um, that could be yeah. quite an efficient way of leveling up quite a lot of characters quite quickly if so you don't mind the battle uh, the battle scars. Yeah, so here's the other thing that I was thinking about that was quite funny. Um, so I had this idea how you could technically have war boss character of any variety, you know, beast boss, regular boss, mega boss, whatever, who's on your order of battle, but you basically don't ever actually bring him to the tabletop. Okay. You don't bring him to games. Ergo, he gains no XP. And instead, there'll always be, or more often than not, there'll be a character that was involved in the games that's got more XP than him. Yep. So then at the end of the game, he's going to come over and basically attempt to challenge the boss back at camp. (laughs) The boss then beats him down, and then he skyrockets in his XP. Yeah, so you just get a, a feed XP to your boss who never plays. Yeah, until like, he's a beef. Yeah, like this is my war boss. It's his first game. He has a uh, thirty XP <laughs> <laughs> because he just keeps beating on like the death killer trike or something, which like yeah. that's your speed boss that you use every game. Yeah, um, and if, like. He gets up, gets up to eight XP in first game. Goes for a challenge with the war boss. The mega boss kicks him in, and jumps up to nine XP. Next game, the war trike uh, jumps himself up to fifteen XP. Goes to challenge the war boss again. Kicks his head in, jumps up to sixteen XP. <laughs> um, now, I, I cite the war trike in particular because yes, unfortunately, that means your war trike is going to also be acquiring battle scars. <laughs> at a noticeable rate. Yeah. However, the war trike is also a vehicle. Ah! As we're going to get to, you can repair vehicles, by which the means removing battle scars from them via the scrap mechanic. Ooh, nice segue. So, this is the obligatory resource management system uh, for this particular faction. Um, And... It's quite a straightforward system, really, and ultimately, yes. it's a way of doing one of two things. Either adding custom jobs to your vehicles, or removing battle scars from vehicles. Like, yeah. That's kind of the end game of this, and that, that's all there is to it. It's nothing more complicated than that, because as is the case in the Orc rules, you can't buy custom jobs for vehicles in a Crusade force at creation. 
No. Like, that's just a thing specified by the orc rules. So, instead, you buy them when you've acquired scrap points. Yeah. By using special requisitions that cost scrap points as opposed to requisition points. Yes. That is the key feature of this. It doesn't cost you requisition points. Uh, yes. So you can you can do this in addition to spending your requisition points on cool stuff. Yeah, so whereas like with the 8th edition codex, um, when I wanted to add a custom job via the Beast Arises um, Psychic Awakening book, I had to use the like specialist recruit requisition, which because it's then it's an at, at army creation unit upgrade. Yeah. Which is still a thing, obviously, that 9th edition codexes do. Um, but in this case, it, you do that with the scrap points instead of requisition points. Yep. But that means you have to get them after games that have been played, not when you first add the unit to your army. Yep. So, how do you get scrap points, Dan? Uh, it's nice and simple. Um, after a game that you have just played in, you get scrap points equal to the number of enemy vehicle units that were destroyed but did not explode. That's it. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> it's really Simple. straightforward, isn't it? Yeah. One point per vehicle destroyed that did yep. not explode. And you got it doesn't to, even... to, Yeah, you've not got to do any funky actions or anything. You've not got to, like, keep a, you know, a, do some complicated maths. You don't even have to have a mech or anything in your army to do it. You just get it um to acquire the scrap no you do yes. actually require a mech or yes, mech you... on your order of battle to then use the scrap yeah. points uh but yes but you can acquire scrap first um in my situation my current uh, order of battle doesn't have a mech or big mech but i am acquiring scrap so when i get one i can uh, do some custom jobs yeah which is quite nice that you can start stockpiling it so again our early days crusade force with a weird boy. Uh, yeah, <laughs> in this example. Horse. Yeah, uh, going around collecting his scrap just for the fun of it because he likes his shiny yep. bit, <laughs> shiny trinkets until eventually a war boss knocks him on the head and goes, give that to the mech, you'll do something good with it. Yep. And the <laughs> uh, the two things you can do with the scrap are, are pretty straightforward as well. So both of them cost three scrap points. Uh, the first one is patch up which is very simply you just remove a battle scar from a vehicle. Job done. Uh, that will um, change the, the unit's crusade points effectively because obviously having a battle scar reduces them by one. So we take yeah. it off and go back up by one. Job done. Which I think is surprisingly significant. I mean, I know, for example, I've got that poor scrap jet on my order of battle. <laughs> and it's still rolling around with its like damaged hull. Because I've had more important things to be doing with my requisition points. Yes, exactly. Like I've I've been fine with it, you know, taking some extra mortal wounds when it gets hit by high strength weaponry. Like my scrapjet really doesn't like strength eight weapons now. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's, that's a funny cutoff because obviously it's got ramshackle, right? So strength seven or less is yep. is minus one damage. So it really likes that. As soon as you get up to eight, it just dies. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> strength 7 weapons, minus 1 damage. Oh, is that a strength 8 weapon? Oh, that's an additional mortal wound in, on top of the extra like standard damage. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> um, but as soon as I blow up 3 enemy vehicles, yep. I can then repair it. 
because well, I can go get those parts and repair my vehicle. Not blow up three enemy vehicles. Okay, fine. Wreck yeah. three enemy vehicles. It's just a shame that one of my regular opponents at the moment is a Tyranid player. Ah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Well, uh, I'll have to pop round with some, some uh, vehicle-heavy admech or something for you to deal with. I feel like um, you should be able to house rule it where for every monster you kill, specifically against Tyranids, <laughs> you would get a scrap point, but you can only use it to repair the kill rig, because it's the only beast snagger vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair. Well, the kill rig or the... Um, what's the non-kill rig version called? The hunter, hunter rig. Hunter rig, that's it, yeah. I could imagine the uh, the bee staggers using tyranid parts um, to repair their vehicles. Yep. That makes sense. <laughs> um, but yeah, or then the other option for free scrap points is the custom job, which is basically just you get to add a custom job as appropriate to a vehicle in your army. Yes, exactly as if it were you know, a regular army building thing. You, yeah, you pay uh, the power level increase and then you, you get the custom job. Yes. Okay, yeah, so by adding the custom job, yeah, it increases the power rating. Yeah. Doesn't do anything to its crusade rating. So again, Correct. you have to be within your crusade supply limit. Yep. Um in order to be able to do this, but it's a way of expending scrap points rather than power level from your um supply yeah. limit to get well, rather than job. rather than um requisition. So it's it's funny because so technically you're not really profiting anything out of this because you have to have space in your supply limit allowance anyway. Yes. And this is increasing your power rating as opposed to your crusade rating. Yes. So you, if you were able to buy custom jobs from the get-go, then you would just do that because you're still having to apply it within your supply limit. The difference is that basically this is turning custom jobs into um, a long-term goal as yeah. opposed to um, a immediate thing for a single game. Well, yes. Also, most of them, I think, I'm pretty sure most of them cost less than five power level. So a it saves you because one requisition point gets you five power level. Or in the old system, would you get you one upgrade to a custom job, right? There would have been one requisition point to a custom job, yes, which I suppose yes. technically would translate to the equivalent of five power yeah. level. So as long as you're increasing your um, your uh, supply limit over the course of your crusade, then it, it's it's saving you from having to spend loads of extra requisition to to get custom jobs. Yeah, I suppose, because, I mean, obviously the the power rating is variable as well. So, for example, I think the automatic pistons on a Gorkonaut is, like, two power level or five power level or something. It's like it's... It, I can't remember, but it's more it's more power level for that than it is for, on like, a dread, Death Dread. Uh, yes, so all of them are... Well, almost all of them are plus one power level, um, except for the Nitro Squigs, which is plus two. And then, as you mentioned, the Stompomatic Pistons, the Shocker Hull, and the more DACA upgrades are both plus two on our larger vehicles. Uh... Fair enough. 
So yeah, like you know, destroy enemy vehicles, you get scrap. And I do think that one of the nice things about that is that there's no prerequisite. It's not like you have to destroy it in melee. It's not no. like you have to win the game in order to no. be able to salvage, you know, that scrap. Yeah. Um, you don't have the only condition is just don't blow up the enemy yeah. vehicle because then there's not enough left to, to salvage. Yeah. Um, I, it is fun though. Yeah. So like, I think this should be. Compared to some on Crusade mechanics that we've seen in the past, notably the Admech, uh, yeah, this is a really straightforward Crusade system because the Warboss stuff dictates itself. It tells you, you know, what to do and when. Basically, the only real decision <laughs> that you make with that is who to give the keyword to initially, yes, and then which, if any, of the stat increases you want to pick when that character yeah. ranks up. After that, it's kind of out of your control, unless, like I say, you're playing a shrewd game with it, trying to deliberately bounce it around characters. Yeah. Um, and the scrap system is the same. It's just, as you kill enemy vehicles, which is probably going to happen across several games of 40k Crusade, <laughs> yep. you will get these scrap points, and then you can do one of two things with them. Yep. It's it's interesting to note the, the Admech Archaeotech rules is about three pages in the book, and the Scrap rules is half a page. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like half of it is a nice big picture of um, some goth orcs, and the other half yes. is just, here's these two things you can do with these things you get. Lovely. Yep. <laughs> nice and simple. That is worth noting that as unfortunately was the case in a lot of things in this art codex, there's some edge cases that have not been thought about. Uh, yeah, sure. So we all know about the infamous truck boys that couldn't get in trucks. Yes. Thankfully, that has been fixed by now. Yeah. At, at time of recording. But, uh, so it, it is yeah. worth pointing out that as it's stated here, you're not allowed to buy custom jobs for orc units in a crusade force because instead right. you get them via custom job. Yes. But custom job only lets you select orc vehicle models to get yes. a custom job to. Which means you can't technically purchase any of the mech custom jobs. Yes. Um which I think is just an oversight. Yeah, I think that probably is. Uh, that said, I don't, I don't know if I would bother spending three scrap points for for one. I don't know, maybe I would. Some of them are quite well, good. Yeah, so for example, you've got like the extra custom slugger, and then you've yeah. got things like the, you know, the, the smoky bits and the shocky bits on like burner boy spanners and looter spanners and stuff. Yeah. Like, there are stuff there that technically your infantry non-vehicle units can take custom jobs because they're mech, they're mech boys. Um... But as written, technically the Crusade rules don't allow you to take them. <laughs> yeah. Um, which I, I say, I completely believe that just to be an oversight. I think it means one of two things. Either you would buy your mech boy custom jobs with power level when you add them to your order of battle, or you would use the custom job scrap points to give it to them. And to be honest... I think that's probably the way I would play it, simply because, in theory, they're still going to need components, you know, to customize yeah. that gear. 
so I think the scrap still works. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I might have thought that there was a separate one for like two scrap points to do a, an infantry upgrade or something, but hey-ho. <laughs> I didn't write this book. No, but I also think that perhaps the scrap system is something that we might see some small expansions upon in say some supplements like i would love it if there were some additional things you could do with scrap points in um warzone octarius we know we saw that with virulence points for the death guard in the book of rust that's very true um and this seems like a very straightforward system where they could introduce yeah. an additional reward or um, expenditure options for scrap points without having to yeah. layer anything onto the scraps point system itself yeah it would be incredibly easy to just add an extra thing you can spend your scrap points on yeah yeah um so yeah and then we do have a couple of our other sort of standard crusady bits um relating yeah. to these sort of core racial mechanics Yep. So, um, up first, I think we will talk about the agendas. Yeah. Um, do you want to take us through a couple of them, then? Go on, then. So, um, straight off, talking about Scrap, the first agenda is called Scrap'em. Uh, which is, uh, yeah, I mean, pretty straightforward. Uh, many mechs see enemy heavy armor formations not as a formidable foe, but as a treasure trove waiting to be plundered. It's good, good flavor text. Uh, at the end of the battle, you gain an additional scrap point for every two enemy vehicles that were destroyed and did not explode. You gain an additional scrap point for each enemy Titanic vehicle that was destroyed but did not explode. Each looter's unit from your army gains one experience point for each enemy Titanic unit that was destroyed and did not explode. And each mech and big mech unit from your army gains two experience points for each enemy Titanic unit which was destroyed but did not explode. So, if you're playing against Imperial Knights... You take that. You're going to be taking that. <laughs> and your mechs get really happy. As do your looters. Yes. Of course, if you don't have any mechs or looters, you might not want to bother with it anyway. Or I vehicles. Mean, <laughs> I mean, you would still technically get um, an additional yeah. scrap point for every one of those vehicles that was destroyed. Uh, yes, so... So at its very base, you could take it against an, a regular army with multiple normal vehicles and you'd get an extra one scrap for every two units that you destroy but don't explode, which is yeah, you know, like fine. If I, if I took this against your Admech, like I would get yeah. points for things like your Dunecrawler and your Flyer, but also things like your Robots. Yes. But obviously the, the majority of this, this agenda is for killing Titanic units. Um, yes. So you that's really what it's for. It's for or, the enemy has a has a knight, we're gonna take it down and, and loot the crap out of it. Yeah, so if it's like an Imperial force that's got a knight allied in, or it could be like yep. Guard that have got a Bane Blade or Necrons that have got a Montlyph. Stuff like that. If there's a Titanic thing there, it's probably an army that's also rocking a number of vehicles anyway. Um yeah. so you've got some options. Yeah. Or, you know, if ever you're staring down three column lords of skulls. Quite. Yeah, so it, it's obviously very um, situational, but most agendas are, so fair enough. You don't have to take it. But it is a way of really doubling down on your scrap gaining. 
yeah. So obviously, if you're if you're leaning heavily into that, it's worth looking into. And then what have we got next? The next up is Crumpin' Spree, uh, which is um, as we were talking about the uh, the war boss gaining a load of experience points to so he doesn't get challenged um, for the war boss title previously. Uh, this is basically so. I like the way this this rule is written. It says. Keep a crumping tally for your warlord. Each time your warlord destroys an enemy character, vehicle, or monster unit, add one to the warlord's crumping tally. At the end of the battle, your warlord gains two experience points for each mark on its crumping tally. I mean, I think this is possibly one of the best named tallies we've yep. seen so far. <laughs> yeah. Got my scrap tally, I've got my experience tally, I've got my Octarius data tally, my uh, investigate sites, and then I've got my crumping tally. Yep. Like, <laughs> what or, what war boss wouldn't keep a crumping tally? Um, and then we have our obligatory be snagger only option, as every yeah. section of this book tends to have. Yes, quite. Go on then, tell us about Bring It Down. Bring It Down? Uh, yeah. So it's it's basically about beast naggers killing big things. Uh, keep a, a big big trophies tally for each beast nagger unit in your army. Uh, every time it destroys a vehicle or monster, you add one to the tally. Uh, if the enemy unit is destroyed by melee attack, add two instead. At the end of the battle, each beast nagger unit gains one experience points for each mark on its big trophies tally. So. If you're playing like a strike force or above game and you've got a beast boss, he could be running both a big trophy and crumping tally. Uh, sadly not, because... Oh, you can only have one racial agenda. Have one. Yeah. Yep. Damn it. I remember now. Yes, Ooh. disappointing. I know, right? <laughs> he wants to go around crumping and getting himself some big trophies. Yes. Oh, well. So uh, but uh, obviously, obviously, that one is more more suited for if you have a, a lot of beast nagger units in your army. Um, but but, then, but obviously, there's one for speed freaks as well. So yeah, which is hilarious. That's the cunning stunts agenda, which again, <laughs> te- technically, technically, there's an issue with this one. <laughs> again, as an oversight in the books, but I would say ignore it, and I'll get to that in a second. So cunning stunts. I think this is possibly one of the most flavoursome like agendas slash actions so far to date. For speed freaks, it is not enough to destroy the enemy. They have to be going fast and looking good at the same time. It's gotta look cool. <laughs> While orcs are not especially agile riders, even the lowliest warbiker knows how to wheelie his warbike, regardless of the potential damage this causes to himself and his ride in the inevitable ensuing crash. I like the idea that that is canonical evidence of orcs doing wheelies in mid-battle. Yeah. Uh, Keep a stunts tally for each speed freaks unit from your army. If you selected this agenda, then these units from your army can attempt the following action. Cunning stunts. At the end of your movement phase, select one illegible orcs speed freaks unit from your army that advanced this turn and ended its move more than six inches from where it started. So no advancing an inch or moving in a circle. Um, 
the action is completed at the end of your shooting phase. Once completed, add one to the selected unit's stunts tally. At the end of the battle, each unit gains two experience points for each mark on its stunts tally. So, how awesome is that? Basically just, so long as you advance and forego shooting because you're performing an action, um, yeah. you just got to gain two XP. Yep. <laughs> got to go hence, fast. Hence why Death Killer Trike Boss could easily rack up XP every game and put himself Quite. above the war boss who's sitting back at camp. Yes. <laughs> if he wants to drive around not doing anything, yeah. Eh, can do. But here's the technical issue that again has been missed, and I say don't let anyone pull you up on this, just ignore it. You can't technically perform an action with a unit that advances. Yes, that is a rule. <laughs> so you would never have a unit that is able to perform this action who has advanced. <laughs> yeah, that is um Yeah. So technically there's never an illegible option. I I think it should just be that there's supposed to be a clause here saying that this action can be performed even if a unit advanced. Yeah, I think I it's mean, it's certainly implied, isn't it's it? It's implied, isn't it? It's heavily implied. You but just you have could... to remember that even though you're a speed freak unit advancing, you still can't opt to shoot, even though you could probably fire assault weapons. It's just that doing so would break, break action. your action. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, interestingly enough, you you can choose to do so. It just breaks the action, right? Yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you declare an action and then later decide you need to shoot, you can do that and just break the action. Yes, so the action is completed at the end of your shooting phase. Yeah. Uh, which So it does mean that... Um, you can advance and charge. Occasion, you, yeah, you could advance and charge. And again, I think the only instance of that is the Death Killer War Trike in a regular war being called because he's yes. a character. Yeah. Um, and the only, I don't think. Oh, I guess technically, like a war boss on war bike as well. Uh, yeah. I, be, I can't remember off the top of my head if, if it applies to infantry or core or what. But uh, yeah, but he's the only uh, character that's a speed freak. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Basically, I like the and I can tell there've been a couple of games I've played where I just want to go effectively claim an objective or move behind cover or something for a turn with a buggy or two. So I think there'd be plenty of opportunities to just declare that they're going to advance for the turn, you know, hide behind a building or go grab an objective yep. and gain two experience in the process because they yes. decided to do some cool ramping. <laughs> you, could you could very quickly gain a lot of experience with that one. Yeah. Um, but you would be losing out on a lot of shooting as well. But it's... An opportunity to just gain XP in place of shooting in a turn where yep. you weren't going to do anything significant with it. Yeah. Like if it was just going to be some sporadic shots or if you weren't going to be shooting anyway due to line of sights or whatever. Yeah. And then finally, uh, we have the Mega War agenda. Yes. Um, this is where you keep a War tally, which can't decide if I prefer that to the Crumping tally or not, but. Either case, it's a it's a close contender. <laughs> um, you keep a war tally for each non-Gretchen orc unit from your army because <laughs> the Grots don't get to join in on the war. No, they're too weedy. Um, 
And then, while stage one of a war or speed war is in effect, each time an orc unit from your army destroys an enemy unit, add three to that unit's war tally. While in stage two of a war or speed war is in effect, each time an orc unit from your army destroys an enemy unit, add one to that unit's war tally. And then at the end of the battle, each unit gains one experience point for every two marks on its war tally. Yeah, that one could rack up quite a lot of points over a whole army, couldn't it? Yes. So whereas like your crumping spree is going to hone in on XP for your war boss, the mega war is going to give you a fair chance at gaining a lot across your army. Yeah. Now, I can't imagine many units are going to gain a lot from that, but you could well, get quite a few units gaining an XP. Yeah, so that that's the thing. In, in my experience with the Knife Edition Codex um, so far, I've always played with a speed bar, just me uh-huh. personally. Um, I've always called it Turn 1, <laughs> just because of the nature <laughs> of my army. It's literally yeah. the first thing I do in the game. It's like, Command Phase, Turn 1, call the speed bar. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I mean, funny, uh, like, funny story was that in the last game I played, my speed boss called a speed war, despite the fact he didn't, he personally didn't move an inch all game. <laughs> he called Very speed speedy. Remain, yeah, called the speed war while remaining stationary. <laughs> not, not of his choice, mind you. It was the fact he got turn one charged by a winged hive tyrant. Ah. And he he was brawling of it for three turns um, before they both uh, basically collapsed on top of each other. <laughs> um, but we'll get to that later. Um, so yeah, the um, so the point I was getting at is that all of those games that I've played, the majority of the destroying of enemy units, or certainly the key ones, has happened in game turns one and two as is yeah. probably a commonplace thing for a lot of 40k games. Um, and for me, calling the speed war on turn one means that for those first two t- game turns, my entire army is potentially gaining XP just by killing things. True. You know, I would say the majority of you know significant stuff is going to happen then, so I think it would be a good way of racking up Probably, yeah, minimum of 1 XP on almost everything in the army, and then notably killy things, gaining maybe 2, possibly 3 XP. Yeah, could happen. But, you know, especially in larger scale games, like playing Strike Force, and if you're bringing 10 units to the table, then that agenda is going to net you 10 XP, even if everything just gains 1 XP. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, potentially pretty good. Although, that said, there's, uh, Sometimes you'll get those games where you get your turn two and you just bounce and you get like one unit killed or something and you don't really get anything. You're probably probably not going to be taking Megawire against Custodes, for example, (laughs) because you're not going to be killing a high number of units. Again, if you fight Imperial Knights, you're probably going to be going with Scrapham rather than Megawire. But if you're fighting Imperial Guard or or, or other Orcs... Yes, um, it could be a good choice. Yeah, just yeah, anyone def- who's got a lot of MSU units, really. Yeah, I mean, I I see that one as a sort of generic. Uh, if you don't know what to pick, you could p- just pick that option. Yeah, it's going to be good against most armies. 
yeah, if none of the other things are jumping out at me, I would probably now be taking Megawar rather than say assassinate or assassins. Yeah, whatever it is. because or I can just Reaper or whatever it is. The, yeah, or this, Reapers this. against one unit two XP. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's a pretty guaranteed two XP, but yeah, you know, this is going to probably be guaranteed more than two XP across your army. Uh, I mean, cases. not guaranteed, but but yes, you're likely to get more. Yeah. But if you kill three units across two turns. Yeah, <laughs> you'll get free XP across your army, minimum. Uh, well, unless you kill them with three different units in the second turn, and they all get one tally, no, which doesn't I, get them I anything. Guess. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but you know, what I mean, it it feels like it will be hard not to profit from it. Yeah. <laughs> but speaking of profiting from winning fights, shall we take a look at our requisitions? Including probably one of the funniest requisitions we've seen with the use fights for me now. Yeah. Because <laughs> we all know orcs will fight orcs when there are no when there's nothing else around to fight. So similar to the Dark Eldar Crusades, where you can <laughs> claim territory in Kamora, especially when you fight other Drukari players. Um, the orcs have a requisition for fighting other orcs uh, and you get to purchase this after a victory is achieved in a battle against an orcs army uh, for one requisition point your warlord gains 5 experience points and you can immediately purchase the fresh recruits requisition once for 0 requisition points because you've basically convinced a bunch of the lads from the rival war to fight for you now because you've just beaten down their boss yep it's a whole load of xp for that as well isn't it yeah so it's five xp for your happy. warlord for yep. one requisition point in fact it's even it's it's funny how basically um how many requisition points normally is the fresh recruits is it one or is it two i think it's one so it's basically that you're netting 5 XP for free. Yeah. Because you would spend the 1 for the requisition for the fresh recruits anyway if you wanted. Um, but this way you get 5 XP in, in the deal. Yeah. Which um, is still well, obviously, not... you do have to beat another Orc player, which is uh, may or may not happen. Well, I think there'll probably end up being some people out there who are regularly fighting uh, you know, a rival Orc opponent. I mean, I know it's you, you and me could regularly play, yeah, regularly play Orc and Orc games, as we have already done in the past. Yep. Um, but yeah, it's just, I think it's one of the coolest little narrative things we've seen so far for requisition. Like, your, your Orc War boss beats them, get some more boys. Yeah. <laughs> and then you want to take us through a couple of the others? Yeah, so we've got... Uh... Going back to the the previous things we spoke about, there's a couple that relate to uh, the the mechanics. We have extra scrap for one RP, uh, which is you simply gain an additional number of scrap points equal to the number of objective markers controlled by units in your army. Um, so obviously yes. at the end of the battle, I was going to uh, say worth knowing that's at the end of the battle. It's not like yes. you're putting a gamble on it yeah. at the start of the game and calling your shots. It's like if if it clearly it looks like it's going well and you're going to hold a lot of objectives. Yeah. Um, so obviously, 
<laughs> at the end of the game. Um, yeah. But that's an interesting way of getting extra scrap if you're if you're leaning heavily into that. Uh, and obviously that means you can, you can get it without having to fire vehicles as well. True, actually. You, I, so I could use that against um, like my Tyranid opponent. Yeah, after like, you. If I, if, like I've, if I feel like I've won the game and I'm holding objectives, I can salvage stuff from them at least. Yep. Uh, and I mean, yes, you don't have to win the game to do that. True, you don't have to, but no. like more than likely, if you're holding multiple objectives to make this worthwhile yes. for a requisition point, you're probably in a winning yep. position. Uh, and in fairness, my experience with Orcs so far is that uh, even if you win, you don't have much stuff left at the end. <laughs> <laughs> no. But this does bring to mind that mission from um, Amidst the Ashes that features 15 objective markers. Yeah. <laughs> What's that? 15 extra scrap? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, then we've got a specialist mob requisition, which is this is one of the instances where you know you spend the requisition point to make a unit have its like at creation unit upgrade. But yep. the stipulation here is that it has to be a crusade unit that has gained battle hardened heroic or legendary rank. Yes. So basically, they have to be experienced in order to have become specialized. Yeah, it's just quite cool. Yeah, but this is to gain access to things like your boom boys, fly boys, mad boys, and yep. truck boys. So notably, big, you couldn't big have crumpers. Any, big crumpers. Yeah. See, you, you couldn't have any truck boys on a crusade force at creation. No. But they can yep. become truck boys once they've leveled up. Yep. Nice for one requisition point. Pretty standard stuff. Uh, and then um, the last one is is tying into the um, uh, the challenge mechanic again, isn't it? Yes. Or not, two, as the case may be. <laughs> yeah. Two requisition points to be a coward. Sneaky scheme is what it's called. Uh, so this is when a leadership challenge is taking place. You can basically, with two requisition points, you can um, ensure that the current war boss is automatically treated as the winner and the challenger loses. Yeah. Um, so your war boss is going to gain that XP to put him above the challenger and the challenger is going to gain his battle scar. Yes. But um, it just guarantees that you get to keep yeah. that particular character as your war boss. Yes, I, I find that particularly distasteful and dishonorable. <laughs> I don't think I would ever use that myself. It's the kind of thing that only a, a, a snivelling blood axe would use. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, it, it's there. It's a thing. I don't think it's you'd use it that often. To be honest, for two requisition points, really not really worth it. I'd rather spend them on other things. But it's an option. Yeah, it exists. Um, and then, finally, uh, well, not finally, actually, we've got two more things. Two more things. <laughs> so, penultimately, we have battle traits. Yep. Um, so we've got the obligatory D two table for tech marines <laughs> slash apothecaries, <laughs> i.e., uh, big mechs and pain boys. Yes. Um, with the usual sort of options of. Um, you can make something on your order of battle automatically pass a um, an out of action test. So mechs can make vehicles automatically pass. Pain boys can make clan units automatically pass. Can so we like can we just um, just focus briefly on the fact that the pain boy one to make a vehicle or make a non vehicle automatically pass a, a a test to avoid a battle scar 
is called Recycler. <laughs> yeah, this dock stalks the battlefield for spare parts after the battle, ensuring transplants are conducted in a timely manner. That's pretty good, isn't it? Now, I've got images of a Blood Axe um, pain boy doing this, who's basically mimicking the Quartermaster from the Death Corps of Krieg. <laughs> <laughs> Just going around the battlefield afterwards, finding wounded orcs and going, I think we can use that elsewhere. Bang. Then takes the limbs. You think they have, like, uh, an exchange scheme? <laughs> if there's a battle between a Krieg army and an orc army and the, the Quartermaster and the, the pain boy are... <laughs> Going around the battlefield after picking up the bits, they're like, "I'll I'll swap you this this like extra knife I find over here for that arm over there." I've got this image now of um, this Pudax boss and this Creed quartermaster calling a ceasefire just so they can go around executing their own forces. <laughs> uh, Best funny. of friends. <laughs> um. Yeah, but then the two sort of notable battle trait tables is there's a D3 table for squig cavalry units. Yep. Um, which I assume basically means for squig hog riders and the knob on squig. And uh, possibly I, the squig saw. That's a very good question because I think um, he's a monster, isn't he? Not a cavalry. Let's, Let's find, find out. out. We've both got the codex directly in front of us. so Yeah, so squig hog boys have cavalry. Yep. As you would expect, the knob on Smasher Squeak has cavalry. And where is our... Uh, I believe they he have cavalry have as well. It. Yeah. Yeah, Beast Boss does have cavalry, so Beast Boss is also an option for this. Cool. Interesting. You want to give us the rundown? Uh, so we've got Savage Squigs, uh, which is uh, plus one to hit with the Squig attack. Uh, squigs jaw attacks we have irate squigs which improves the armor penetration of the uh, the squigs jaw attacks by one and tenacious squigs which adds two to the move characteristics of the models i think plus two move could be really good i mean they're all pretty good um to be fair yeah. but but yeah the the move is is key because i i found that the squig hog boys uh move 10 and it's it's just not quite nippy enough. And they they don't get. Um, oh wait, do they do they get advance and charge in a while or not? Uh, I've been playing it as if they had, so I assume. <laughs> Let's see if I've been cheating. <laughs> because I can't remember if it's orc models or if it's like core infantry or what. Uh, Advance and charge is orc core and orc characters. Okay, yeah, so they, they would get it. Because a, a squeak hog's core. I, I'm assuming they are. Let's find out. Squeak hogs. They are core, yes. So yeah. they do. Particularly if you get your plus two to your movement, then if you're running a regular war, I can see yep. a turn where they really pounce on someone. Yeah. That would but, be my pick of those. The table that I think is the most interesting, and especially because of its like application, is the mob units. Yes. So this is a D6 table, and it's basically almost a bit of a byword for infantry. Yes. In codex. It's not strictly all infantry, but no. most things are mobs. So, for example, 
Storm boys are mobs, commandos are mobs, units of knobs, be it regular or mega, yep. are mob units. So it it's basically necessarily... anything that isn't an individual model. More or less, yes. That's, that's infantry. In most cases, yeah. Um, but it, some people might see that and think it just means like orc boys, because that's what they think of as a mob. Yes, it's, it is not. It is, it is most infantry units. So it's actually quite versatile in the in number of things that can get these upgrades. Yep. And I think all of them actually have really like, yes. significant merit. I don't think there's a bad one, really. Uh, there's one yeah, that's I a little edge case, but... It is worth noting it is a D6 table rather than D3, which most of them tend to be in these books. So there's yeah. a lot of options. So we've got Dead Choppy, which is basically... Um, in the first round of combat, the unit gets plus one to its hit rolls. So yep. if it charges, it's charged or intervenes. Can't really um, go wrong with that. No, especially when, you know, say those mega knobs <laughs> with those yes. power claws. So in good. interesting combo if you have that and then a war boss next to it, they get plus two to hit, which cancels out the minus one. So you get mega knobs hitting on twos. Yes, yeah, so you do actually get the plus one to hit, even though you've got claws. That's quite tasty. Um, we then have Cyborgs. Now, this is the one that's edge case because it's good, but it requires a pain boy to be nearby. Yep. So, whilst this unit is within six inch of a pain boy, each time a melee attack is made by this model, re-roll a wound roll of one. Yep. So, so it, turn, it, it turns turn the pain boy into a lieutenant. Yep. <laughs> lieutenant. Lieutenant, even. Yeah. But only if the unit itself has this rule. <laughs> Yes. It's like the pain boy gains the rule. It's just he has to be the condition of yeah. being nearby. It's pretty cool, though, because it does. It is reminiscent of the old third edition unit where you could take a you could take a pain boy and yeah. a unit of cyborgs following him around, which is pretty cool. Um, Daka lads, which, are, again, I one of the reasons why I think big shooters are a big win um, in this book. So yep. each time a model in this unit makes an attack with a DACA weapon against an enemy infantry unit, if a hit is scored, that enemy unit cannot fire Overwatch this turn. So even in your mobs of like slugger boys, if you've got just, you know, one big shooter in there putting out five shots because you're within yeah. 18 inches, you just need to land a hit. You don't have to wound, you don't have to do any damage, just land the hit and you're basically dropping suppressing fire enough that the enemy can't Overwatch you and again yeah it's gonna make a difference i do like that the shooty upgrade doesn't rely on you actually like doing any damage for your shooting yeah it just relies on putting out enough shots just to yes. fill the air with bullets making enough noise hmm. is what that is really so if you're playing crusade units and you are randomizing your weapon uh, your unit traits i would advise trying to get at least one daca weapon per unit <laughs> in case you roll up daca well. lads yeah, because you only need one guy to do it. It's not like it's a benefit which is exponential based on the number of DACA weapons you've True. got. Like thirty slugger boys with a big shooter benefits from this as much as thirty shooter boys. Well, so long as that big shooter as long as you can hit a hit, which he gets five shots at that range. Yep, <laughs> got a good chance of just landing a hit. It doesn't have to do anything; just land the hit. But if shooting isn't their thing, then they could be dead keen, which means that your unit gets the ability to heroic intervene, as if it were a character. That is good. That is really good. <laughs> Again, just the idea of like 
your mega knobs or your commandos or your storm boys being able to like heroically intervene. Yeah. Amazing. I mean, um, just a big mob of boys sat on an objective being able to heroically intervene <laughs> into the units that are trying to stop them from holding it is good. Um, opportunistic. Each time an enemy vehicle is destroyed by a melee attack made by a model in this unit, you gain one additional scrap point. Cool. So, yeah, if you do kill the vehicles in combat with this unit, then gain two scrap, which is <laughs> that's doubling the reward. Or... Gain one scrap if it explodes. True, yes. I didn't notice that, but you're right, because that's just <laughs> if an enemy vehicle is destroyed, then presumably the bit you ripped off to make it explode is the, yep, uh, that the was bit that you're keeping. <laughs> and then finally, gnarly scars. While an enemy unit is in three inches of this unit, subtract two from the Legion ship characteristic of models in that enemy unit. Yep. How cool is that? Minus two Legion ship just because you're near some orcs. Because like, they're all gnarly. Yeah. Scarred. You, you don't need to have any other potential leadership modifier other than that to just potentially start making Space Marines lose the odd body to this. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, the the leadership modifier ones are always very situational because sometimes, you know, it, it really makes a big difference and sometimes you just come against an army that just passes anyway. But I think minus two is enough to be noticeable by itself. Yeah. It doesn't have yes. to be stacked with other things. For it yeah, to make minus, it minus two makes it, you know, tasty. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, that's uh, that's the battle traits, and like I said, I'm particularly a fan of the mob units upgrades, and I think all of them are good across basically all the orc units. So, I mean, what I like about it is that um, most of them are quite unique. They're not just a rule from another book with a different orky name on it. Yes, I mean things like obviously there's one relating to scrap. There's heroic intervention. There's minus yeah. leadership. There's Prevent Overwatch. There's one referencing a pain boy. It's it, they are pretty unique abilities. It's not just that we get plus one to hit because we're veterans, or we get to reroll yeah. ones to hit because we're experienced, or whatever. Or we gain a six up in one because we have bionics. Yeah, <laughs> it's a little bit more interesting. Yeah, um, especially when you consider that eventually, in theory, some of these units will end up having multiple traits. Yes, like if you've got a if you've got a dead keen unit that can intervene that are also dead choppy who get plus one to hit in the first round yep that, the enemy is dead dead they're dead keen and dead choppy yep. and if that's a unit of actual goth boys as well Oof. it i think at this stage it's it's worth noting um because i don't think we really cover this very much that these don't replace the ones in the rule book like you can use them as well as so yeah, you can so, still roll on the regular tables in or in the rulebook ones. So you can you can have units that have got like one of these and and the aforementioned reroll ones veterans upgrade as well. You could have a yes. dead choppy veterans unit, for instance, <laughs> who are dead keen that would be hitting on twos rerolling ones. Yeah, so uh, I mean, depending again on like how you're playing it on your playgroup or whatever. Perhaps if you are picking your choices, you can you know play into that a little bit. But I think 
unless something particularly fits has been narratively appropriate, I just think rolling is the better way to yeah. play the Crusade system. Yeah, I, th I think we've we've probably covered this many many episodes yeah. ago, but my my personal preference is to roll for it unless and and re-roll it if it's something that doesn't work. Basically, yes. So, for example, if you rolled up Daka lads and you don't have any Daka weapons, exactly. In your unit, yeah, you, you burn. If, if it's a unit of burner boys that you've rolled for, and you yeah. have any Daka weaponry because you've got burners, yeah, you know, then yeah, just re-roll that. That's fine. It, but say they rolled up gnarly scars, you probably stick with that. Yeah, because it's reasonable. Boys, yeah, it's reasonable. They're probably going to get into combat every now and again. I mean, those scars are probably burns, but yeah, sure. Yeah, <laughs> gnarly burn scars. Um, and then, uh, finally, we have some Crusade relics. Yes, uh, and I'm quite a fan of some of these. I think they're all pretty fun. Yeah. But, uh, go ahead, give us some of your favourites. So, uh, the, um, the ones that jump out, so we've well, let's just briefly go over all of them and then focus in on ones we like. So the art artificer relics, we've got the boss pole, um, which is very cool. Each time the bearer destroys an Adeptus Astartes unit, you can make a note of that unit's chapter keyword. Once the bearer has destroyed enemy units with three different chapter keywords, the model has the following ability, uh, and it basically gains a twelve-inch aura. Um, within which you ignore combat attrition modifiers. So your um, your half your under half strength units will be only running away on ones rather than ones and twos, for instance. Yeah, and I, I do think that makes a surprising difference. I know in the couple of games I've played, when the orc units start having to take combat attrition, it is noticeable. That, you know, starting to lose them on ones and twos. If you've not got your mob rule benefits, so yep. the boss pole probably would save you quite a few bodies yep. over several games. So yeah, and... it's it's good. Like, I'm not that excited by the actual rule, but I just yeah. like the fact that you have to collect space between helmets. <laughs> yeah, and you know full well you want to model that on your guy. Yeah, with the three helmets painted in the three chapter colours that he's killed. Yeah, that's just a really cool little rule, and and. Like, that's kind of the perfect example of a silly crusade thing, right? Well, I mean, we've just recently seen the, um, like, release announcements for the new Black Templars and the fact that their upgrade kit is actually going to come with physical modeling components to represent some of the relics yeah. from their codex. Could you imagine, you know, getting an orc upgrade theater sprue that includes things like the Dead Hard Armor, the Boss Pole, like it comes with free beaky yep. helmets or whatever on it, automatically ready for you to paint up. Yeah, that would be cool. Um, yep. So yeah. the next next relic is is as you mentioned the dead art armor, which is uh, simple uh, armor adds plus one to your armor save and plus one to your wounds. That's that's dead good. I mean, as here's the thing, it is, but uh, applicable to infantry or cavalry only. So yep. I only really see two places where this is particularly useful. And that's on the regular war boss. Yep. Or funnily enough, the knob on Smasher Squig. Yes, it would be good there. Um 
because if you were to give it to the mega armored war boss or the beast boss on Squigasaur, um, so in particular with the Squigasaur, it would bring him up to 10 wounds. Don't want that. Don't want that. Even if he would get a free plus save, don't want that. And secondly, if you were to give it to the mega armored war boss, in combination with the war boss upgrades, this would bring him to a total of 10 wounds. Right. If you even, yeah, if you took them all, even if he would have a a, a one plus save, and technically, <laughs> technically, if he had the crushing armor, because you can have crusade relics in addition to a yes, you can army relic, he could have a zero plus save. You you can actually be wearing two suits of armor at once. Yes, it is the dead art crushing armor. Yeah. <laughs> um, but. He would, he'd be on a zero up save, but he would have 10 wounds. So he would be targetable. Um, so the only real places where I see it significantly of use is on your regular boss, your beast boss on foot, or your smasher squig. Yeah. Because that would bring their armor saves respectively to a free plus, and would bring them up to seven wounds base before any war boss bonuses, so they're not going to go over that um, yeah. critical nine crossover into 10 wounds because i was originally thinking is this something that might actually be good for a weird boy but taking him to a six up save from zero yeah not super great is is not really worth it whereas at least like you know one smasher squeak would be going up to a three plus save as well as gaining the extra wound yeah yeah cool uh so then on to the antiquity relics uh there's uh, the, the return of the souped-up Shocker from yeah. from the Vigilus books. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a big, beefy shock attack gun that uh, is is just better than the regular one. Um, so is it just the ability bonus? The, I believe the weapon profile otherwise is the same, isn't it? Uh, it's is it slightly more reliable in its shots. It's, it's heavy yeah. 2d3 rather than d6. Yeah, so it, it's more reliable because it can't gain more back shots yep. but it's gonna be yeah and it's uh, its strength it. goes up to 2d6 plus one rather than 2d6 yeah yeah which still means on its 11 plus inflicting additional d3 which kind of is 10 plus now sort of thing yes exactly so yeah it's a it's a good yep. it's a better sh- uh, shock attack gun uh, and then there's wasgate's copper skull cap which is a, a weird boy relic um that uh, yeah, if you if you resolve a psychic power that isn't smite on a ten plus, um, uh, resolve the effects of that psychic power a second time. It does have to be a witch fire. Fair so enough. It couldn't, it couldn't be like fists of gork twice. Yeah. <laughs> no. It's fists of gork and mork. <laughs> yeah. As funny as that would be, no, it, it's yeah. just witch fire. So basically, that's what squiggly curse, frazzle. Uh, well, but those are. Um, I was going to say those ones. Uh, uh, Squiggly curse is a is a were boy. Oh yeah, power, isn't point. it? So, so specifically for weird boys. Weirdly, so does that mean? Uh, so it's only. Oh, There's, uh, I believe, the crunch. Yeah, so I think it's going to be the crunch and Ed Banger technically. Yeah. Even though that would, it would basically turn Ed Banger into a two model kill. Yeah. Max. Woo. 
Um, but Ed Bang is still not great because you have to so, that toughness role. In so we're not place. super enthused about that one. No, like I said, it's basically if you're wanting to go for what the crunch is that really the only yeah. reasonable option? Because and you have to roll a smart. ten plus on your psychic test first for getting it to happen. So, so I mean, the main thing. Yeah, uh, yeah. I have to admit, I don't think that's. We we don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a crusade relic that only weird boys can take, and technically, there's no downside. I mean, sure, whatever. Moving on. Uh, yep. Uh, legendary relics. There are two. The Git Stopper rounds, uh, which goes on a DACA weapon, uh, and basically it turns the uh, the the type to DACA three slash two, uh, and every hit does D three mortal wounds, which is okay. Uh, it's not very exciting. Um, I would. That given that in the rulebook there is the vortex grenade in this category, <laughs> I, I would not be that yeah. excited about the Gitstop rounds. Do I want this or a vortex grenade? Yes. But the final relic I think is worthy of a, a legendary relic. It's the chopper of the Great War. Yeah, this thing's pretty awesome. So infantry or cavalry model only. Um, the chopper of the Great War. It's basically a fancy, fancy ooge chopper. Yep. Um, so it's strength times three, AP minus yes. three, flat damage three. So we were talking about getting ridiculous strength on the war boss up to like strength yeah. eight or something. So then you go up to what strength twenty four. So what your boss couldn't be base strength eight. Could technically have the warlord trait plus one strength and attack. <laughs> to be strength nine, could have fists of gork cast on him on an eleven plus for a further plus three strength. So, so 10, twelve. 10, 11, 12. So thirty six. Strength thirty six. <laughs> um yes. I'm sure there yes. might even be some odd other things you can force in there Probably. Bonuses, Given that yeah. there's literally nothing in the game with with toughness higher than ten. Uh yeah. Uh anyway, the that's not all. It's a cool thing, but the main thing is the ability that it has, right? Yes. Uh, in the command phase, if a war has already been called, you can call a war again. Uh, a new war is in effect starting from stage one. So, double war. That's nice. Two turns of advance and charge. Yeah. And potentially four turns of plus one attack on everything. It's really good. It is really good. I just, I obviously, being the you know the deaf skull speed freak that I am, I have a tendency to lean towards speed wiring. But I cannot deny that <laughs> double wah on regular wah is pretty damn good. Turning into an almost like you say, just army wide four turns of plus one attack. Yeah, and then two turns of advance and charge. Yep. Interestingly. The chopper of the Great War, although I can see how it's clearly intended to be the like relic version of the Uj chopper wielded by the Mega Boss, yep, it doesn't actually replace an existing weapon. Yes, I did notice that. <laughs> yes, so you, you can could have, have it as well as everything else. Yeah, you could have a a power claw war boss like your regular type who is carrying the chopper of the Great War. So, yep. I mean. 
you, obviously you're probably not going to bother using the power claw once you get no. the relic. But the point is that like you don't have to have a particular weapon to then get this. You could just yeah. fight your crusade with your power claw up until the point where you can get this relic and then trade it in for the chopper of the Great War. Yeah, and then just swap it. Stick a giant axe to his back or whatever. Yeah. So yeah, like I think ultimately because of things exactly like that, um, probably going with an actual war boss of some variety to lead your crusade as it goes into later stages and becomes a big horse and has you know legendary level characters is going to be the way to go. As his only right. Yeah. So, I guess it's because one of the things I was thinking about in the case of like the Mega Amos was it was it worth applying weapon upgrades to his axe as he levels up, um, like with weapon enhancements out of the core Crusade rules, because it doesn't make his weapon um, an illegal option for the chopper of the Great War because it doesn't replace a weapon, but by the time you get to this chopper, this is probably going to be better than the one you've yeah. been custom building, so then is, does that render your previous upgrades irrelevant? Well, then you take the Vortex Grenade, right? True, I suppose. If you So if you want a war boss who isn't too bothered about doing his double wiring, instead he just has a pretty damn good custom chopper that's going to be close to those stat lines anyway, and a Vortex Grenade, <laughs> <laughs> you could do that. Yeah. Fair enough. That is the Orcs on Crusade. Wah. Wah indeed. Now, at this point, we might normally have talked a little bit more about like, you know, how we might see it being played out as you play games of it and so on, but rather than tacking that on the end of here, we are now going to jump over to some of our games played, and predictably, Dan has some games played with Crusade Orcs, so we'll discuss those then so we'll be back in a second guys are you enjoying the narrative wargamer podcast if you are why not check out our community facebook group at narrative wargamer on facebook we share our latest hobby projects and narrative battles and aim to grow a community for casual and narrative 40k players we're always excited to see the awesome things our listeners are working on and it is a great place to hang out with other like-minded hobbyists. You can also find us on Instagram at Narrative Wargamer and over on Twitter at Narrative40k for regular hobby updates on our 40k projects. You get to listen up now and listen good. The boss has got a message for you all. It looks like some of the boys have been joining the war before they got themselves a proper pen job. How are you kids supposed to get any proper crumping done without a lucky blue chopper or dead flashy shooter, eh? The boss is going to be breaking heads if he captures any of you without a proper paint job. So get your ugly hides, tell the paint boy over at Narrative War Painter. He'll fix you up good and proper, you hear me? Narrative Wah Painter is now open for painting commissions. Specialising in good quality, army-wide standards, you can get a quote today by contacting me at narrativewargamer at gmail.com 
to discuss any potential hobby projects, and so I can help you conquer your horde of grey plastic. You can also check out examples of my work over on Instagram at Narrative Wargamer. Right, you kids. Get your loot in the truck and zog off to the penguin. It better be redder and faster when you get back. And make sure to tell them Red Tube sent you. You might get some extra special. Games play. And we're back, guys. So, we have been doing things a little bit out of order tonight compared to usual, but since we're now going to talk about some games that we've played recently with our Orcs, in particular Dan's first Crusade game with them, we figured it yeah. was best tonight to do our games played after our spotlight topic of Orcs on Crusade. And so, Dan, tell Hi. us about your war boss. Quite, yes. So I had a nice game um, against uh, some Admech doing a little crusade. Uh, both of it was, was the, was it the nice first. Game? <laughs> yes, it was actually. It was a lot of fun. There was a lot of killing and brutality, uh, which is what we like. Interestingly, he was running uh, Riser, which is the, the four droid I run. Um, so, and he had quite a melee focus, which is quite fun. He had... Um, a big squad of infiltrators uh, and a big squad of the uh, Fulgurite Electro Policists. Uh, he backed that with a bunch of regular Skitari and some characters and a couple of Onager Dune Crawlers with the Icarus Arrays. Uh, and then he had two Castellan robots as well. Um, this was at a 50 power level. Uh, and I took... Uh, my, my Crusade list has a bunch of kind of all over the shop stuff. <laughs> I've I've got Red Tooth the War Boss, of course. Uh, I've got uh, Durok Orcora the Weird Boy. Um, we've we've got a uh, a unit. Uh, well, in this list, I took a couple of units of boys, one of twenty shooters and one of ten of ten sluggers. And the twenty shooter boys went in a battle wagon with a death roller and a bunch of big shooters. Uh, and then we have a truck with three mega knobs in it and the war boss sitting in the truck uh, and to add a lovely bit of snake bite flavor of course i'm running snake bites uh, i've got three squig hog riders and the knob on the smasher squig yep uh, and i think that just about rounded it out there off the top of my head um so because it was a 50 power level game it was quite close quarters the gist of it is turn one i went forward then I got shot a lot. Um, <laughs> uh, all my mega knobs fell out of the truck, and then the last one ran away. <laughs> uh, the uh, sure. the the brand new Squig Hog Rider, uh, sorry, the the knob on Smash Squig um, was hiding behind the truck, so therefore he wasn't hidden from the character targeting rules. So he got blasted by an Onager and died. Um, and the infiltrators popped up behind me and attacked the weird boy who somehow didn't die. I think they have a surprising knack for doing that. Yes, he did proceed to die immediately in the next turn, but that's besides the point. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
so yeah, it's, it sounds like a little bit of a rough outing. It was a rough start, but then it, it got a lot better for me because uh, into into my turn two, uh, Red Tooth himself, who was on a crumping spree, yeah, as as we have discussed, uh, charged the Catalan robots alongside the the battle wagon with a death roller, um, and he killed both of them. Uh, <laughs> so he immediately got like a bunch of experience points for that. Um, he incidentally he has a uh, brutal but cunning warlord trait, so he's attacking again for every attack that doesn't go through to the damage stage. So yeah. he's real killy, um, and he's got the super cyborg body as well. So he's he's pretty tough. Yeah. Uh, then the so the the infiltrators got charged by a bunch of boys, and they interrupted after Red Two fought and killed all the boys and the weird boy. <laughs> which was quite impressive, I have to say. Um, but then they eventually got uh, whittled down and then finished off by the last... Well, well I think I, they survived on one model, but the Squig Hog Riders um, went down to one model and the Squig, and he killed like four infiltrators in one go. It was quite impressive. Um, Red Tooth himself then got charged by the whole unit of the Fulgurite Electro Priests uh, and they brought him down to one wound and then he killed like all but one of them <laughs> and that one probably ran away because he wasn't an idiot apparently yeah <laughs> so he's ki- so he killed uh, two robots He, I think he killed a character by with shooting uh, and he killed most of a squad of Electro Priests and in that combat he got charged by two Skitari Rangers as well and he let his attack squid kill them <laughs> which was excellent uh, so he got a whole load of XP he then got blasted by an Onager later but whatever uh, and by that stage of the game going into like turn 3 there wasn't much left so I just dumped my unit of 20 boys onto an objective and had the battle wagon charge one of the onagers and just kind of get tied up ramming and shooting each other for the entire game. Uh, so I just racked up some points and eventually came away with the win. And how much scrap? Uh, I picked up two scrap for killing two robots. So not enough to do anything with, but I don't have a big mech on my roster yet anyway, so I can't do anything with it anyway. Um, but I did uh, as because he was on a crumping spree Red Tooth did get a load of XP he, he was also my uh, mark for greatness because I felt like he had to be uh, so he did level up um, he did also receive a battle scar uh, and I wasn't going to lose any XP on him so I took it and I rolled up the chest wound which gave him minus one wound but because <laughs> yeah. he leveled up to be and he's the war boss he get plus one wound as well so it cancelled out um, and then as he leveled up I gave him the dead art armor so he's got an extra plus one wound so he's currently <laughs> at so he's currently at plus two minus one wound he profited one whole wound <laughs> yes um, so yeah. sooner or later I'll fix him and he'll get an extra wound but for now he's at plus one 
So yeah, so he's already like growing to be one of the bigger like orcs. He's even proving that yes, he's t- he's had a big chunk blown out of him, and it's yeah. stopped him. Yeah, he's already pretty tough, uh, and he's he's just going to get beefier and beefier. I can't imagine any of my characters are going to catch him, like with Anytime that soon. start. So, uh, but yeah, the the other thing is the um, the weird boy. Uh, he got a, a bath scar as a result of getting beaten up by the infiltrators, uh, and he got a deep concussion, which means he can't benefit from any stratagems or the, the command point reroll. So <laughs> if if he gets perils, he's got to live with it. Yeah, he's gonna have to wear it. <laughs> So, so yeah, that was it. It was a fun game. Um, as as previously mentioned, when I win with orcs, I tend to not have much left anyway. <sighs> yeah. So funnily enough, um, so what do you foresee yourself using the scrap on in the short term? I guess because of what have you really basically just got battle wagons, trucks, uh, battle wagon and a truck are my two vehicles, um, neither of which are damaged. Uh, I do intend to get a shock attack gun big mech because they're really cool uh and i'll probably be looking to upgrade the um uh the battle wagon to the 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 five up in one one yeah the fortress yes is. Uh, that should be quite handy okay uh, um yeah i can i can see where you're going with that and um what so you've now got your dead hard armor on red tooth Yep. What would you foresee his second level probably being? Uh, I think I would probably. I think I would probably roll on the the standard uh, table in the book to see what kind of upgrade he'd get. Like, like the character abilities. Yeah. Because yeah. most of them are pretty handy. Um, I might dig into the rule book and look at the Crusade relics there because they're all pretty good as well. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. I, I I was in a similar position when thinking about Zagdreg because, like I sort of alluded to earlier, I, I can't decide whether or not to bother giving weapon upgrades on his axe because basically that's making the decision at that point of do yes. I take the chopper of the Great War at the later stage or yep. not? Um, do I need any of the abilities in the character? Cool. Like of skills, or do I do the hilarious thing and decide to just go for um, ranged weapon enhancements on his? Yes. Uh, so uh, during lockdown, I played a tabletop simulator Crusade League uh, yeah. thing, and I was playing orcs, obviously pre-codex, um, and I my war boss did eventually level up to the legendary rank. Uh, because he basically hoovered up all the XP from my entire army because nothing else killed anything. Uh, so at one point, I did upgrade his his combi shooter, or it's a it's a combi scorcher, uh, and it got two damage. So he had a two damage scorcher, which was quite tasty. Yeah, like I'm really tempted to do this with the um, the big shooter on the mega boss because yeah. one, it's actually BS four plus. This is true. Gonna. And two, it's it's freaking DACA five free, you know, yeah. eighteen inches, so putting out five shots if any of that um, turns into like, you know, um 
AP minus one, damage two. It could even get an extra shot and technically become DACA six four. Yeah. Um, it could do like a bunch of things. Like just, yeah. if you're stacking it up after two or three upgrades, and then you've got like an AP minus one, DACA six, damage two, big shooter hitting on fours. <laughs> <laughs> I could just see that being very, very death scully. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is, sounds like you, you've had a, a good first outing for the Orcs on Crusade, even if yeah, it definitely. was a bit of a, a beating on both sides. I mean, especially because it was a beating on both sides. Um, how did the actual um, game turn out that you mentioned? Did you win or lose? Yeah, I, I won by virtue of having boys on the objective sitting right. there for a few turns while nothing else was really doing anything. I just remember you saying that you had very little left at the end, but yes. I can't remember whether or not you actually quantified it was a win or a loss. <laughs> yes, I, I had very little left, but neither did he. Yeah. <laughs> um, did you get a victory bonus? Was it just an extra mark for greatness by any chance? Uh, it, well, I think it was just an extra requisition point. Yeah, fair enough. That's always good. Yeah. Um, because, funnily enough... I've also recently played a Crusade game in that I played a Crusade mission. Right. But I didn't play a Crusade game because I played 2,000 points um, okay. with my like Speedwire Orcs as they currently are because I'm waiting on getting that Mega Armor boss to be able to build him up and paint him to actually lead my Crusade force. Because Fair enough. Having done the refactor to the force after the release of the 9th edition book... I don't want to use my proxy war boss at the moment, like who's got power claw and combi scorcher in Mega Armor. Yeah, I just want him to be the Mega Armor war boss. Yeah. Um, so until I get him done, I've taken the opportunity to play some larger scale non-crusade games of Orcs, which has been my first time doing those. In that Fair enough. Yeah. So last weekend I played a game against um, a friend of his Tyranids. And we decided to um, roll up a mission from amidst the ashes. Um, and we just played it like a game, like a match play game, as it were. So we didn't bother with any secondaries because we weren't picking agendas. So it was yep. just the primary mission. Um, but it was uh, <laughs> it was really good because... So we played this mi- uh, Strike Force mission where... Um, the defender is on like a center line deployment from long table edge to long table edge, and the attacker can deploy on both short table edges. Yep. Um, and the whole objective is there are two objective markers in the defender's deployment zone, um, and attacking units can perform an action to uh, attempt to inflict structural damage on these objectives it's like you roll a dice for every model in the unit or four dice if it's a monster or vehicle or something and every four plus the objective marker loses a structure point and if it loses four it's destroyed and the the win condition is um if neither objective is destroyed the defender wins if one is destroyed it's a draw and if both are destroyed the attacker wins Fair enough. Yep. yep. Nice and simple. Um, I played as the defender with my orcs. And the Tyranids were the <laughs> attackers. Um, and 
To make it interesting, we, as I always do, use the theatre of war. Now, in this case, we decided that we were clearly in the later stages of an imperial world falling to a tyrannid invasion and the planet was being devoured. The orcs were clearly just the foe that the Imperium was currently dealing with when the High Fleet turned up. <laughs> so we're playing Fair. on this, you know, ruined Imperial world that is now in the process of being consumed. So we played with the Devoured World Theatre of Battle from uh, Theatre of War, even from Pariah book from um, oh, like way back then. Yes. Well, the prior book's brilliant for that sort of stuff. There's like 10, 12 different theatres of war representing the different sort of worlds that the Pariah, uh, the Psychic Awakening series ran across. So in this case, the Devoured World is meant to be from the Blood of Baal um, sort of section of the series. But basically, cool. yeah, um, it used a couple of rules where Psychic tests for non-tuned psychers were more difficult because I had to roll an extra dice and discard the highest, which was <laughs> fun for my weird boy. Um, there was a rule where basically living metal in reverse. Okay. Um, where if the, at the end of a battle round, any model that was missing one or more wounds would lose another, would, would suffer a mortal wound. Oof. Because the idea is that the the atmosphere itself now is laced with like tyrannid microbes that are yeah. starting to you know break down any uh, biological material and anything. So anything that's wounded, those wounds are entry points, and you know they'll start being devoured. <laughs> that's really cool. Yeah. Um, and then there was also a um, random effects table, um, which basically represents whatever particular thing is going on in the atmosphere. Um, on the environment and we ended up with um, basically like acid rain in that is like stomach acid rain nice <laughs> because the capillary towers are consuming the world and it's starting to affect the um, the atmospherics so that was the start of the battle round we would roll a single dice and on a 5 plus it would start raining which would cause every single unit on the table that was not in a terrain feature to suffer a mortal wound. <laughs> and then that would continue at the start of every battle round. But you would also roll another dice, and on a further 5+, plus, it would go into full-on downpour, and if rather than being one mortal wound, it would be D3. <laughs> wow. Um, which is funny, because as soon as something gets wounded by the rain, you're then wounded, which yeah. means that the atmosphere then starts yeah. taking wounds off you. <laughs> wow. Yes, it was really, you know, um, like finicky, ch chipping away of wounds on wounded things. Yeah. Um, then after deployment, um, we could opt to use a... We could use a command point to use a stratagem to either modify the random table effect for the game or add an additional one. So we ended up with uh, my opponent adding an additional one, which was randomized, and that came out as basically the local fauna and wildlife are basically just feral and rampant now because they're panicking because they don't know what to do because the world's been devoured. Because they're being eaten by acid rain, yeah. Yeah, and they've got nowhere to go. So the idea was that basically 
dangerous wildlife would be uh, fleeing their dens and you know hiding places as the wool is just starting to fall apart around them yep. so we've got acid rain where if you're affected units that were not in terrain features and then this other table effect which specifically affected units that were in terrain features <laughs> <laughs> because that was the one where the wildlife were defending it or escaping it or just causing havoc um and yeah, that one was, it was kind of like a roll-off system where starting with the player that went second, which in this case was me, we would pick a unit on the battlefield that was either in or within three inches of a terrain feature and roll a dice. On one to five, nothing happens. On a six, uh, that unit would suffer defeat mortal wounds. But you would only keep, I would pick a unit, then my opponent would pick a unit, then I would pick a unit and so on until the first instance of a six was rolled <laughs> between us and so that's the unit that gets affected right so being on this devoured world basically meant there was just more wounds here there and everywhere yes and with the exception of the um shadow in the warp effect making it harder for psychers tyranid units weren't immune to it yeah because the idea being that even though like the Tyranids themselves are starting to be devoured now because the invasion is complete to the point where resistance is futile. Yes, you know, they don't they need have, them anymore. Yeah, so they don't need them anymore. So they're already starting to basically biodegrade their own their own forces as well yep. to reabsorb them into the fleet. So they're not. They should be it. jumping into the digestion pools. Yeah, they're just clearing out the last couple of um, yep. you know <laughs> organic um, defenders. Um, and what was funny was that. Uh, my opponent was using a custom high fleet where one of the natural traits was um, like living metal where he regained the wound right, yes. and anything yeah. was wounded so every battle round his army was basically going up and down in wounds across the board <laughs> excellent it was hilarious but yeah um, it, was a, it was a really great game in terms of what was going on because you could just tell that like I had these orcs who clearly were trying to basically protect or recover some last piece of tech that was probably going to be what was going to get them off world maybe we had it as like um we had the octarius terrain built up basically as a strip down the center of the board for my deployment zone and these fuel tanks you know these oil rigs in them it was basically right right this is what the orcs are trying to um secure so that they can probably fuel one of their last couple of ships to escape the world before it's devoured and these Tyranids obviously trying to prevent that. Yeah. And having a 12-inch wide strip of deployment zone with a Speedwire army, so where I've got four buggies, a Gorkonaut, and two aircraft, <laughs> in addition to my Orcs, like my boys, basically meant I ended up with like um, a, gari like a garage of Orc vehicles. <laughs> Because they're deployed in like a, a line down the center, but it's in between all these orc ruins, and clearly this is just like the vehicle compound. Yeah. <laughs> so it looked really cool, um, and yeah, it was it was a good game. Um, there was two winged hive tyrants, Tervigon Prime, the Swarm Lord, um, an Exocrine, a Mall, um, not Mallock, whatever the one is with the big. Chewy gob that eats things whole, but not not the on the burrows. 
the um, the one with the big frog tongue Karen or what it's called. Uh, the horror specs. That'll be the one. Yeah. Yeah. Gaunts, gargoyles, litters, all sorts. Like, um, and obligatory unit of six hive guard <laughs> hiding nice. behind the building. Yeah. Um. But no, it was it was a really fun game. There was lots of carnage everywhere. Uh, I got turn one charged in many places because it was only sort of like an 18 inch no man's land and same multiple winged hive tyrants, swarm commander, um, swarm lord, and the psychic power of advance and charge. And, uh, yeah. It's horrible. Um, <laughs> I, had, I was playing the speed war, but I had a regular war boss in a second detachment who had the dead shiny shooter and a power core, but he got killed before he got to swing anything. Oof. Which is a shame. Uh, but, that said, the Death Killer Wartrike did tremendously well against the Winged Hive Tyrant because it held it there for like three rounds of combat, basically dragged it down to two wounds before eventually my weird boy came in and clocked it on the head to kill it. Nice. <laughs> and the my... shock hole was brilliant because I remembered it. Yeah, I was about to ask if you remembered it. I did. It was really <laughs> good. Because one thing that came up was... The condition for triggering it is it's after an enemy unit finishes fighting me. Um, so there were two sort of queries with this. One, when he used the stratagem to fight a second time, meant that yeah. in that same fight phase I got to trigger the shocker hull again. Nice. Um, because he finished fighting me again, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Um, and then the other question was whether or not it triggers when I get killed. Because the only condition on me making the roll is after an attacking model finishes making its attacks where I'm the target of those attacks. Huh. I assume not. Because It's funny because it's got nothing to do with my activation. Mm. It's got nothing to do with me making attacks. The only condition is um, when I'm declared as the target of the attacks. After yeah. those attacks are finished, I roll a dice. It's a weird one. It didn't yeah. matter in the end because... Um, he didn't die. Well, no, I did. Oh. But um, in the end, the Hive Tower was overkilled by my hilarious weird boy. Fair enough. Because I love that weird boy. So the one with the super cyborg body yep. and uh, brutal but cunning. Yep, it's a classic combo. Cun- yeah, or cunning or brutal, whichever one is. The, <laughs> the I get to attack again if my attack didn't go through to damage. Yeah, root of um, Yeah, and um, just by virtue of being a death skull, so getting a built-in reroll and having five up uh, save against mortals, and then casting fists of Gork on himself, and it's just so fun because he, he kind of becomes like a mini action war boss because he's only got three to five attacks, but all of them are basically going to be landing against anything and yeah. inflicting D three damage. Yeah, so he, he does a surprising little punch. He's not like a war boss going to be, you know, punting out sixteen to twenty wounds potentially with a power claw, but he's going to put out between like eight to ten, reliably on anything. Yeah, um, and then he's surprisingly tough with the four pin bun and the yeah. uh, minus one damage on a model that otherwise has basically no save, like no kind of protection. Yeah, it makes the most of it, doesn't it? Hmm. Um, 
And yeah, it was yeah, it was a good game. Um, the Gorgonaut did amazing. It stomped around. It uh, clawed a winged Hyperterran out of the sky. It punched a Turvicon Prime in the face, um, and it even helped gun down the Swarm Lord at the end of the game. Nice. Um, it was good. And in the end, I did end up winning because he, he just couldn't get to the two objective markers. Um, his last ditch attempt was having this Trigon Prime, the Swarm Lord, and some Lictors converge on one of them. But I had outflanking uh, Mega Knobs, which, because they were going to be arriving on my deployment edge, they could basically just appear right on top of these things that were trying to get to his objective marker. So um, they showed up and they pulled apart the lictors. <laughs> nice. Um, but it, ah, I took such a beating in his first turn. It hurt so badly. He, he blew up a buggy, he killed um, the regular war boss. He left the speed boss on like two wounds. Um, he gunned down a bunch of boys. He blew my burner bomber out in the sky before he got to move. But the Waz Bomb Blaster Jet basically flew around annihilating one Tyranid monster per turn. Because that thing pumps out some serious damage. Yeah, tell me about it. Mm -hmm. it, it blew apart the Exocrine the first turn. It Oof. blew apart uh, Winged Hive Tyrant, I think it was, in the second. Um, I know. I think it was the Exocrine in the first turn and the Horror Specs in the second turn. And then the Swarm Lord in the third turn. He literally just went, that's a big bug. <laughs> it's a crater. <laughs> yeah. But it was really to and fro. Like, um, after the initial attack, it just I felt like I'd suffered a lot of significant damage. And I was definitely playing on the defensive. It wasn't until the third turn I felt like I was the one dictating the, you know, the offensive maneuvers. Yeah. Yeah. It was a good game. Cool. So I look forward to playing more with um, Neoxes as they are and more yeah. Crusade games in the future. I like that was uh, nice and Octarius themed as well there. It was. Like, uh, as of right now, we've seen some spoilers, well, not spoilers, but previews for yep. Nids and Guard. Yes. And I just really, really hope there's going to be something for Orcs in there. Not particularly because I think Orcs need anything, but. It's the Octarius sector. Yeah. Like, if there isn't going to be something for rules for both the Nids and the Orcs, it would feel weird. It'd be like doing Charidon with not having done any rules for Death Guard. Yes. Uh, no, well, it'd be like doing Charidon without having any rules for Orcs in it. <laughs> True. <laughs> Actually, yeah. Uh... Where's our Arch Arsonist? We're going to end up getting um, orc rules in campaign supplement Solar War, aren't we? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Somewhere we just totally don't expect orcs to be. Yeah, next one will be um, Warzone Armageddon and it'll be like, okay, no we're having rules for, rules for Guard and uh, Grey Knights and, and, and uh, World Eaters. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, I think I think it might be coming in the second book, I'd, I'd imagine. Possibly, we'll see. Um, but yeah, so um, I think 
that's probably just about everything for tonight. Unless you had any other games played you particularly wanted to highlight. Uh, no, that's okay. We're. Uh, yeah. I think we've talked enough about games played. Yeah. Um, so just to round us out for tonight, then um, our community spotlight. Do you have anyone or anything that you've been particularly uh, enjoying or want to shout out recently? Uh, so, so I'm I'm just been cheeky and picking out a couple of Instagram accounts of uh, two of my regular opponents, basically. You, yeah, no problem. Go for it. So, so we've got uh, one. One of them is is Sharpie or uh, Jonathan Sharp. His Instagram. Uh, is J dot sharp with an E oh six oh eight, and he has a whole load of different like armies. He's he's a, a very kind of um, sort of casual slash narrative slash semi kind of competitive type player. So I, I, I kind of like kind of like me, <laughs> yeah, like a bit of everything. He's got a whole load of armies. Uh, he's got some very nice uh, Eldar that are kind of his own craft world. Uh, he's got some corn demons. He's got space wolves. He's got necrons that are a really cool. Say, his his uh, necrons yeah. are particularly spectacular. The uh, color choices and the alien fauna uh, flora that he has, um, yeah, is really cool. Yeah, it's, so. it's and obviously I've played him a few times, so there's uh, pictures of of games with me in there so so that's good um, was this the uh fellow you played at warhammer world recently was it his neck uh another necron player no that was another necron player <laughs> fair enough <laughs> um but yes uh and then the other the other guy is uh james p who is jp underscore wh40k on instagram um, and he is uh, he has um, a big Cadian guard army he's got some uh, custodies that are really nice uh, and he's just started working at, well he's he's kind of uh, chipping away at a death guard army as well uh, so so he's cool obviously and I've played quite a few games against him so there's some of that um, his guard have been a right menace for my various melee horde armies <laughs> uh, but so far, I've uh, I've had the win against the custodies a couple of times. Uh, so uh, yeah, they're all they're all nice, cool models. His his boards are really good as well. Uh, well, both of them they they set up very nice boards. Uh, but uh, JP in particular has a lot of the sort of um, uh, like the MDF terrain, the kind of that you that you buy. It's all standard stuff it's all fairly basic but he's he's done a very good job of sprucing it up a bit and putting the the gravel and the the fl- uh, the um uh the lichen lichen point is both of them have a uh, very nice uh, battlefield setup nice armies so uh, go check them out and have a look yeah I, I am actually already following both of them as well um, so I can say that you know I've also enjoyed seeing their stuff and they are good accounts. So I would suggest anyone uh, goes and follows them. There you go. Uh, what have you got? So, <laughs> funnily enough, I actually wanted to mention um, I'd been I'd finally found some time to watch the Masterclass series um, on Warhammer Plus. Um, or a okay. couple of videos anyway um, with um, 
Louise Sugden, is it? Yep. Yeah. Yes. I mean, first of all, go follow her on Instagram. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, like, her stuff is spectacular. But I just wanted to give my little opinion on the Masterclass series because I think they're great. <laughs> um, yeah. With all the animation stuff and the power reports and everything else that was on Warhammer Plus, I've not had a chance till the other day to get around to watching some of the Masterclass stuff. Um, but it's really good. Um, I would... At first, I thought that some of the videos were going to be sort of like, you know, 40 minute to an hour long ones, or basically like, this is how you do stuff if you're going to try and do it to Golden Demon standard. Um, because that's kind of, to me, what the name Masterclass kind of implied. It was almost yeah. like if you're looking to do the really ridiculous stuff, the things like, you know, creating realistic looking stubble on like a Space Marine's face, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, that's why I anticipated these series as were going to be, but I managed to get around to watching the wet blending and the glazing videos. Okay. Um, and they're only like, I think one of them's 12 minutes long, one of them's 16 minutes long, which is just a really nice, like, good, quick, consumable amount of time. Yeah. And they're, they're really good. Like, they explain the techniques in a really good, um, approachable way. It's not done as this is the masterclass stuff where you would have to have some level of assumed knowledge. A lot of right. it is very this, like this is how you want to make a glaze. You want to do you know th- you know this mixture rate like eighty percent of Lamia medium to Reichland flesh shade or whatever you know, and then you want to apply this in two, three, four plus coats and. Um, there were little demonstrations of how you could see the layers coming up and stuff and little things like for me in particular one thing with the wet blending so I've done wet blending before um, I've got various amounts of it on my eshers in particular where I'll transition between the colours in their outfits um, but the little wet blending video had two little points that I'd never even considered and yet were I wouldn't I'd never even considered them because I wouldn't have thought they would have worked until I'd seen them in practice and then actually I can see how they're actually really helpful. So one was the fact that when doing your two colours, actually fully painting in the blocked areas with a hard line between where it's going to change. Oh, okay. Yeah, right? Which, to say that you're doing wet blending, you wouldn't have thought you would do that initially. Yeah. I think you would merge them as you went. Sounds like the opposite of what you want to do. Mm-hmm. But the idea was that it, it creates a base layer, which then, when you're blending over the top of it, it means that where you want it to be purple, it will primarily look purple, and where you want it to look yellow, it will primarily look yellow, and the blend will happen over the area that is the hard break. Hmm. And then secondly, the idea of introducing a bridging colour. Yeah. So, like... On my ashes, I go from purple to green. Um, in the example video that Louise did, it was purple to yellow. And I would have just gone from one to the other and done the blend in between the two. But actually, yeah. she drew, she painted in a third strip in the area where they wanted the transition to occur and painted like a red strip. And then basically did two blends. So one that was from purple to red and red to yellow. And even though that red strip area was only a thin area, it 
you don't even really see that there's red there because the blend makes it look like it's going from one colour to the other, but it's transitioning through the spectrum. Cool. Yes. Uh, I, I definitely had heard of that as a thing, but I've never done it myself. Yeah, it's like it's a little thing I hadn't heard of that before. And just seeing it made complete sense. Yeah. <laughs> you know. And she even like she explains it as that you don't have to do this. It's not always necessary. But it can be a really nice way to add that extra layer to it. And it and so yeah, I just I've actually found that that Masterclass series is not as master class as I feel its its name suggests. Yeah. It is actually more um, maybe not beginner friendly, but it's beginner to those techniques. Like if you are, um, like a seasoned painter, but you don't have to be an expert in order to get something out of these. It's it's masters. a, it's not a class for masters. It's a class from a master, right? Yes, basically. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. So yeah, um, like I say, if you don't go try some out and uh, see which ones. Uh, right for you. Like, I didn't bother watching all the ones that weren't relevant to me. So, for example, I didn't look at, watch the Black Power Armor one. If in future <laughs> I find myself doing a commission, maybe, where I'm doing some Black Power Armor, I might yeah. visit it. Cool. But I thought I'll have a look at the wet blending and the glazing ones, and they were really helpful techniques, and I'm looking forward to trying some out. So, cool. yeah, that's my little hint. If, yeah. you, if you've got Warhammer Plus, and you haven't checked out the Masterclass series yet, I definitely suggest you do so. I mean, you're paying for it, you might as well. Well, I mean, yeah, but like, I'm probably not going to bother watching the Age of Sigma battle reports because I'm just not I'm not an Age of Sigma player. But Fair. there's some stuff on there which just might not have got around to watching. Yeah. But um, don't put it off because it is good. Cool. Yeah, I've I've heard good things from other people as well about that masterclass. It's, uh, sounds like it's a good one. Mm. So yeah. Um, I think that is everything then for tonight. We've, yes, uh, I think so. We've covered one of our one of our favourite factions on Crusade. Yes, it looks like we're soon going to be kicking up into full Octarius gear. Yeah, uh, we've got pre um, pre orders coming up very soon for not only the new supplement book but also the new mission pack for crusade which sounds like it's gonna have planet strike in it yes uh, it's a fair planet. bet that when the second book comes out there's also going to be a accompanying crusade or campaign related book as well right probably yeah so yeah i'm very excited to get my hands on that one um but we're gonna have to squeeze in maybe another episode or two before then because uh next episode is already in production and has been for a little while so I'm sure regular listeners might have noticed that this episode is a little later than normal but fear not it's because I have been busy working on something special for next episode mm. um, so you can look forward to that because it is going to be something a bit different but also something that I think is going to be really fun and uh, I think you're going to enjoy it so yeah keep a, an ear out for that um, but then after that, I think we'll be trying to squeeze in possibly Flashpoint Octarius from White Dwarf um, to give me a chance to actually digest what will be the supplement book and the mission pack for maybe a month's time from now. We'll see. We'll see. But yeah, plenty of exciting things coming up. So, 
thank you again, Dan, for joining me tonight. No problem. And, uh, yeah, until next time, guys, this has been the Narrative Wargamer podcast, helping you discover more ways to play multi-game.